Good morning and welcome to episode 808 of Effectively Wild, daily podcast from Baseball Prospectus, brought to you by the Play Index, baseballreference.com. I'm Sam Miller, along with Ben Lindbergh of 538. Hello, Ben. Hi. So, Ben. Yes. 538. Yes. Who's going to win tonight? <laughs> I don't know. It's not really my uh, specialty at 538, but if you go to 538.com, you can see some projections on the front page. I was hoping you had picked up a thing or two. No, okay. haven't learned it. Nate's knee. All right. I've got a couple of banters. You've got a banter. Do you want to banter first? Sure. Well, I was watching the show Billions, the new Showtime show last night, which it turns out is a baseball show by your initial definition in our discussion of Brewster's Millions a few weeks ago. Multiple baseball-related scenes in this episode, but the one I wanted to mention is one where Damian Lewis, who plays Bobby Axelrod, who's the billionaire, is talking to one of his traders, and he compares him to Brian Doyle, the former New York Yankee. So I'm going to play a quick clip, 20 seconds. You're going to be our Brian Doyle. Who? Brian Doyle's a utility player on the 78 Yankees. He's a lifetime 168 hitter. Yeah, below the Mendoza. But in the 78 World Series, Willie Randolph got hurt. Doyle stepped in, hit 438, played like an MVP. Legendary. You're going to be Brian Doyle. I'm going to be Brian Doyle. So I heard this and wasn't that familiar with Brian Doyle other than the name and 168 career average sounded very low. So I looked it up thinking if anything, if it was wrong, maybe it would be too low. In fact, Brian Doyle's lifetime average is 161. I wondered why you think this happened. As I see it, there are three possibilities. One, it's an unintentional mistake in the script. So someone wrote down 168 and no one fixed it. And Damian Lewis read what was on the page. Two, it's an unintentional mistake by Damian Lewis. And it said 161 on the page, but he mistakenly said 168 and no one noticed or cared. Three, it's an intentional inaccuracy. Mm -hmm. And either the writers or Lewis thought that making a mistake would enhance the show's verisimilitude because real people often cite inaccurate stats. So what do you think is the most likely explanation? It's also possible that it was an unintentional mistake in the sense that they thought 168 sounded better, like it just had better meter. Uh-huh. Okay. Right? <laughs> sure. You know, like Pesca's discussion of uh, Piazza New York catcher the other day on uh-huh. Hang Up and Listen, where he uh, ultimately concluded that basically the n- numbers that might have made it more correct don't fit into song lyrics. It would be sort of more of a stretch to think that <laughs> that dialogue on a premium cable show needs to fit some kind of special meter that 168 would, but 161 wouldn't. But right. it's also possible, right? It's possible. I had wondered initially because it, they they raised his batting average. I wondered if uh, they had calculated his career average, including the postseason. I wondered that too, yeah. But, but it's but too, you, too high. If, right. If you include his postseason, it's actually 184. Now, it, exactly. Now, but what if you include his postseason, but not that World Series? So you include everything except that World Series. So then he would be 34 for 206. So let's see what that brings him to. Uh, that's 165. Mm, close. <laughs> so uh, so uh, accident in the script, accident by Damian Lewis, uh, intentional for one reason or another. Mm-hmm. I don't buy your verisimilitude. Uh-huh. Like that really seems 
like a stretch to me, especially because I don't think that people would miss in that way. Like I could see if, if this is a, if Brian Doyle is a kind of defining example in his life, I think he would get it right or mm-hmm. he would exaggerate it. Or when you do miss, I think you tend to miss with round numbers. So if right. he'd said, you know, buck 60, I could see uh-huh. that even a buck 50 or even a buck 75, yeah. but a uh, buck 68 seems weird. And, and really, if you're going to miss, you'd say a buck. <laughs> saying a buck is like the classic i'm 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 gonna miss just by a little bit here like it, it's it's a it's like kind of a a decoy a t- I, I think if you say a buck 40 you're always off by a couple of points so <laughs> so uh, you're saying mistake unintentional error it's not possible that they had a lawyer who concluded that stats are copyrighted <laughs> huh oh well no because he did mention his World Series average was 438, and that is accurate. Hmm. Maybe that fell under fair use. <laughs> uh, it was only part of it. It's only 16 fight appearances <laughs> as opposed to 214. I would guess that it is a. Uh, I would blame it on the script. Yeah, I would too. I would think if Damian Lewis just said it wrong, someone would have said cut the thing is well the other thing is that damian lewis is is british and my guess is that he has very little understanding of which differences you can like how much you can change a batting average without Mm -hmm. throwing it off like for i mean he's like imagine if you were reading a script about cricket stats and you're like i'm just gonna i'm gonna tweak it to make it better you'd have no idea you might be like 80 you, you know like like he might be brian doyle you know hit 448 in his career, but then like, like he wouldn't know even which direction to go. He wouldn't know anything. So it seems hard to me to think that. that so you think it's more likely that he screwed up than no, 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 the no, writers no. did? No, or, no. Oh, no. oh, I see. Because you're saying intentional. I'm, I'm ruling out the intentional Damian Lewis intentionally. Okay. It up. Right. Okay. So, but he could have made an, he could have done it on accident. Yeah. No, I think he memorized that line. Okay. Yeah. All right. So you're blaming the writers. I'm blaming the writers. And it really does make you wonder why they they don't even need to call us on this one. David Levine and Brian Koppelman calling you out. Those are the guys. For, well, they know sports, though, right? They do. Those, well, yeah. I mean, they did that baseball scenes in this episode. Yeah. And then they what they did round. They did the ES. Didn't they do the ESPN show on poker? And then didn't they do the football they did show? Rounders. Didn't they do a football show on ESPN, too? What are their names? Brian Koppelman, former Grantland podcaster. Brian Koppelman, they did Tilt. So remember, you remember Tilt, the ESPN poker show? It was kind of a spinoff of Rounders, but not really. Around the same time, there was also a fictionalized football show on ESPN. And I thought they had done that, but they did not do that. Mm. Somebody else did that. I don't know. I don't know if we're giving them extra sports credit for knowing poker particularly well. But if there are multiple baseball, I mean, clearly they know baseball. They they know Brian Doyle. Right. <laughs> so, I don't know, Ben. Call him up. All right. Have you called hey. him up? You've already called him up, haven't you? I have not. <laughs> Running a show is hard. Sometimes you're going to miss someone's lifetime average by seven points. Mm-hmm. All right. Okay. So, mine, I have two things. Uh, first, I was reading a book called uh, Behind the Superstars, The Business Side of Sports, uh, which is uh, written by, I think it's Jerry. I, I never know how to pronounce G-E-R-R-Y. Mm. But I think yeah, it's I would say Jerry Jerry Patterson, who was an agent in the '70s, uh, sport one of the you know one of the kind of semi-first sports agents and marketing guys. 
And um, he wrote this book in the 70s about some of his clients and his job. So page 33, I, I believe I might have found the ultimate example of a phenomenon we have talked about before on this show. And I'm going to read a quote. This is after the Nash, uh, the uh, Expos traded for Willie Davis. Willie okay. Davis, a great outfielder, gold glove outfielder, a speedy guy. And uh, so they acquired him in 1970, uh, before 1974. Gene Mock was full of superlatives about Willie Davis. Uh, well, you know this one? I know where you're going with this. Okay. And Willie Davis was also full of superlatives about Willie Davis. Quote, in the 15 years that I've managed, Gene Mock said, I've never had an outstanding center fielder. Now I have the best. Willie can save us 30 games with his glove alone. <laughs> wow. 30 games 30 in a games single season. With just his defense. Huh. Unless he's saying in the 15 years that he's had him, he saved him 30, 30 No, games? no, because he's, he's, he didn't. He just got him. He, ju- oh, okay. he, he had just acquired him. And, Ma- okay. uh, and Davis was 34 <laughs> at that point. <laughs> now, granted, he, he was 34. He was a good center fielder. He was coming off of a gold glove season. Uh, and early in his career, he, he was, you know, really arguably one of the greats, his, his fielding, uh, runs by year from age 20 on plus three, plus 13, plus 14, plus nine, plus 29, plus 16. And then once he hit his mid twenties, uh, he became kind of, uh, inconsistent and from 26 through his final season on the Dodgers, he was a minus six center fielder in aggregate. No, I'm sorry. Plus 25. In aggregate, so that's uh, eight years plus twenty-five. So he was just a, he was a little bit above average, but mm-hmm. clearly above average. But Mock said that he'd be a plus three hundred center fielder, <laughs> uh, which is awesome. Yeah. <laughs> so that's uh... thirty wins, Ben. Imagine <laughs> thinking thirty wins with just your center field defense. And so I'm. Um, I asked you uh, the reason you knew where this was going is because I asked about. Uh, other examples. And you uh, reminded me of the quote from uh, Dollar Sign on the Muscle by a scout. Andre Dawson's a better all-around player, but Moreno saves our ball club 50 doubles and 20 triples a year. And uh, so I did a little math and I think 50 doubles and 20 triples works out to like eight or nine wins. (laughs) And so so a third of Willie Davis. Presumably there are a bunch of singles in there as well. Yeah. But I have a hard time. Maybe he gives up more singles. Because oh. he's he's playing so deep. <laughs> could be. I, that could be. I'm guessing that even this scout would not go higher than 15 wins with Moreno's gloves, which makes, to date, Willie Davis the all-time greatest hyperbole center fielder. Mm-hmm. There's uh, another example of this. We, we brought up this practice of wildly inflated player valuations. And I wanted to write an article about it. I asked people to send me some, but they're not that easy to find. But... There was one that I don't remember if we brought up on the show or someone sent me, but there was a 1966 article about Whitey Herzog, and he said, a good third base coach can win 16 or 17 games a season for his club. So <laughs> yeah. he's basically uh, half a Willie Davis from from a third base coach. Well, that's only a good third base coach, too. Well, yeah. Not right. even the best. <laughs> that's true. That's one yeah. standard deviation. Yeah. So I think this kind of quote is the sort of thing that maybe advanced stats have actually changed a little bit because it was really hard at one time to say what a player was worth. Now, if you've thought it through, even before you had wins above replacement or whatever, I mean, if Willie Davis saves you 30 games, then 
I mean, you're going to have just too many. <laughs> too <laughs> you many don't games. have that many games in a season. <laughs> I mean, you're going to have other good players who are saving you more games than Willie Davis. And so it doesn't make sense if you think about it. But now that we have this sort of language, we all know where a really, you know, elite player, Mike Trout is worth nine or 10 wins. That's that's the outside limit of what you can possibly be worth in a season. So I think we'll probably see fewer of these, which is a shame. Willie Davis was a uh, was one run better than average in his first year as an expo. The, <laughs> the expos in 73 won 79 games. In 74, they won 79 games. Huh. So... What about, I mean, does maybe he means relative to no center fielder if you <laughs> play without a center fielder at all. Not 100% convinced that that would hold up either. <laughs> yeah, maybe not. I, like, I'm genuinely not sure that there are 30 <laughs> runs saved by putting. By 30 taking, games, yeah. 30 yeah, games, probably, yeah. 30 runs, yeah. 30 games, though. <laughs> yeah. I mean, okay. if you took the Cubs and made them play eight-manned, would they mm-hmm. win fewer than 70 games this year? I don't think so. I don't, I, I don't think so, especially if they could remove their worst bat from the mm-hmm. lineup, though you can't necessarily do that. I, yeah. I don't think so either. <laughs> okay. All right, then. Now, I think that if you did make them do that, there would be games where they would, or there would be batters they would still play a center fielder. Right. You uh, could put them wherever you wanted. You could put them, exactly. Hokey doke, Ben. My last thing is uh, you, I'm sure, saw the Deadspin post, Fox Sports Publishes, comma, delete bad Royals blog. I did. So this was a post that uh, apparently ran on Fox Sports briefly and then was taken down. And there's been uh, much uh, speculation about what the heck. Uh, and so this post is, uh, is, is hilariously bad. The headline is Royals are one of the worst AL teams to win the World Series since 2000, which uh, is provocative. Uh, mm-hmm. I could see Ben writing that piece. Uh, <laughs> and... Uh, then the subhead, though, only the 2005 White Sox had a lower batting average among AL champs. This goes on to then explain that uh, since 2000, of the eight AL winners, ignoring the NL winners, of the eight AL winners, uh, the Royals rank as one of the worst AL teams to win the World Series. And the evidence for this is a table that shows the batting averages for AL World Series champs since 2000. The Royals are the second lowest. That is the end of the post. Uh, <laughs> and it seems to me there's a lot of people who are like, what the heck, right? But mm-hmm. uh, in fact, this is filed to the category on Deadspin is what the hell is this? And I think I know the answer. I, I knew the answer almost immediately. I believe. I believe I know the answer. It's actually fairly simple. And if you've ever worked for a, a large a newspaper, you probably uh, also saw the answer coming. Because this happens somewhat regularly. Anytime there's a new CMS or anytime a handful of new employees come in, there are trainings in which you learn the new CMS. And as part of learning the new the CMS for non-web publishers, the content management system. And, uh, and in order to do this, they will have you produce a false article or two. And sometimes they might have a whole separate section uh, of the CMS where you can play around and not worry about things getting accidentally published, uh, but not always. And so this seems to have all the hallmarks of a false article that somebody was just practicing with. It has a headline. It has a photo uh, that is uh, applicable to the piece. It has a caption to the photo, which is applicable to the piece. It has a headline. It also has uh, not just text, but it has differently formatted text. And it also has tags. And so these are all the things that you would 
put together for an article. So it is not as though someone just typed gibberish into a thing and accidentally hit publish or anything like that, but they actually had to make it look sort of semi-real. However, it lacks a byline, uh, which is weird, and uh, it lacks anything remotely like enough content for an article. Uh, and so this is something that you would put together over the course of 25 minutes uh, before lunch to make sure that you've learned everything. And then you accidentally hit submit and then they undo it. And at the Orange County Register, this happened from time to time. And then you delete it and you don't really, you know, it, that's it. That's the whole story uh, when that happens. And so I think mm-hmm. that's what happened here. Yeah. So I think, I think that's that we, a lot I, more likely than that it was just a bad article so that they exactly. published and decided not to not to run. So I would say uh, uh, lay off Fox Sports and uh, resist the urge to put any uh, effort into rebutting this article on the internet. <laughs> okay. All right. So Ben, annual yeah. the annual came out. The BP annual came out. Yeah. Is this uh, is this early? I mean, I always forget when it shows up because the Amazon release date always says mid-February or something, and then it starts trickling into stores or people's homes. It seems really early, but maybe this is when that usually happens. Uh, it used to come out in mid-February, and uh, I think I bragged last year. I think I, you put me in a position to boast last uh-huh. year. I'll boast again. We are uh, we are pretty good at uh, <laughs> at editing on a schedule, and for you know, it's it's a hard thing to edit, um, and. Uh, my understanding is that uh, for many years it was difficult to keep it on a schedule because particularly writers don't always submit when you need them to and it's a very tight timeline. But uh, we got it down, we got it a week earlier the first year we did it and then last year we got it in before February. I think it was the 30th last year as well. So mm, okay. so this is just what we do now. Cool. Yeah, uh, and I'm proud of it. I'm proud of that. Yeah, should be. You haven't gotten yours yet. Nope. Because you will get yours uh, a, a little later. We get ours a little later because they first get shipped to somebody at the company who then puts them in a box and ships them to us. And so we ironically get ours last. Mm-hmm. So it goes. So that means that I can play the the game that's sweeping the nation, the guess the annual comment game. <laughs> okay. So this, I first heard this game two years ago. When Paul Boyer, I think Boyer, I think you pronounce the E, who is a contributor, a very good contributor to this year's annual, by the way. So I first heard Paul play this game two years ago with Michael Bauman and Liz Rocher at the podcast Defensive Indifference. And I was delighted and I played along, even though I had edited it. Uh, and I found it to be great fun. And then last year, Matt Corey and Jason, Matt Corey organized a game between Jason Fochikowski and I on their blog. And uh, I always like this game. It's always fun to me. So I'm going to now make you play this game. By myself. By the by yourself, yes. <laughs> okay. I, I chose ones Usually that are there's not. a competition aspect to it. Yeah, but we don't, it takes hours to get it for does. the competition. Yeah. And we're not going to. And who am I going to have you play? Someone else who doesn't know the annual? <laughs> I don't know. All right. So I'm going to just make you do like four-ish. All right. Not too many. And uh, guys that I think are interesting and that might be worth talking about. Okay. All right. First one. Baseball isn't supposed to be this easy. This guy, names will always be replaced by this guy. This guy has gone from a breakout prospect in A-ball to a first division starter in two years. And he appears to be on the cusp of something altogether more. The then 22-year-old almost joined the 2020 club in his first full campaign, showing off more power than most thought he possessed. He displayed the skills needed to be a plus-plus defender in center, 
despite very little outfield experience. He also got better in the second half, demonstrating that he knows how to adjust. And he did all this with the quiet confidence and selective aggressiveness that defined many of the game's best players. Rather than go a few months without dominating a sphere-hurling sport, this guy spent his offseason participating in the PBA's World Series of Bowling, proving that he's always hunting quality strikes. Whether you prefer this guy or this guy's teammate is a question of taste, but there's no doubt that this is what a franchise cornerstone looks like in today's game. Hmm. Okay. I did not know the bowling fun fact about any player. So let's see. So he is a center fielder and he is young and he was an A-ball and he almost joined the 2020 club. So I would say, hmm, is it Kevin Kiermeyer? No. Is it? So he was an A-ball two years ago, it said? Yes. Hmm. I was thinking AJ Pollock for a second, but yeah, he must have been 2020, right? So Jock Peterson? No. <sighs> Surprised. I thought that, uh, well, I, I was afraid the bowling would give it away, but if you didn't know the bowling. No, I don't know the bowling. So the, probably the best, well, I don't know if it's a good enough clue, but uh, the last line, whether you prefer this guy or his teammate, is a question of taste. These guys are both, I'll give you a hint, these guys are both very young. They're not like Pollock or Kiermeyer. They're two guys who are both 22 and franchise cornerstone type players. First year in the outfield, how about very, very little outfield experience? Is that a hint? Moved oh, the oh, oh, Mookie Betts. Mookie Betts. It is Mookie Betts. So Mookie Betts a year ago, I mean, we all, well, Mookie Betts was one of, I think, one of the projection systems' uh, great hits last year because they were so bullish on him. And it was almost hard to imagine that a player that young and with that little track record at the majors, and really, frankly, without that much pedigree, could be projected to be as good as he was. He was projected to be like a top 10 player in the American League last mm-hmm. year. And I, I know that I think what uh, because the the Red Sox were seen as perhaps being in the market for an ace pitcher, there were trade proposals made on the internet in which, you know, bets would be traded for Steven Strasburg or bets would be traded for Matt Harvey. And I know that it was uh, sometimes mocked when people would say, but no, you shouldn't. Mookie Betts is more valuable than those guys. Uh, and uh, a year later, I, I'm trying to think if if Mookie Betts is a clear top 10 player in baseball right now. Well, he was 22. He produced five and a half warp in his age 22 season. And uh-huh. uh, as noted, he got much better in the second half. And he's got every every tool. Where does he rank in the Pakoda projections for 2016? Uh, let me see if I can find that. It looks to me like he ranks 11th Uh in the AL for projected Uh warp. And that would make him, I think, 20th in the majors for projected warp. Okay. So that, if you're asking me that, then you're going to say no. Yeah, I was asking you that. But if he's top 20, then top 10 isn't that big a stretch. What chance, what what kind of odds would it take for you to bet that he will make the Hall of Fame right now? Hmm. Or what do you think his chances are that he will make the Hall of Fame? I, this is one of my favorite games. Yeah, you love this. <laughs> Pick a 22-year-old and... <laughs> I'll say uh, 15%. I was going to say 16%. <laughs> okay. I'm always, I feel like I'm always lower than you on this game, but uh-huh. not by much this time. Anyway, Mookie Betts, super good, super awesome, everybody's favorite player. Okay. 
All right. Except for people who still prefer Xander Bogarts. Yes, that's true. Also the, a defensible position. All right. Next one. This one might be harder. It might be easy. I don't know. Right. There, are, there are very few clues except for the entire thing is a clue. All right. This guy is a Saturday morning, a cup of coffee, and the second chapter of your new favorite book. He's the $20 you forgot you put in your winter coat. He's the sound of someone you love pulling into your driveway. This guy is a hand-knit Afghan and a wanted kiss on the neck and extra thick socks on a cold day. He's the smell of a puppy's head. He's a bump up to first class when you could really use a drink. He's that eye twitch finally going away. This guy is your favorite sweatshirt and your childhood swing set and a handful of jelly beans. He's that episode of Survivor where your least favorite contestant gets voted off. He's a four-day weekend and a short line at the DMV and a pot of mac and cheese that you don't have to share. To see this guy swing a bat is to witness both a tornado and a calm winter evening. To see him field is an exercise in eye widening. His arm is a series of bungee cords wrapped around a Dead Sea scroll. His legs are two-for-one mad dog margaritas. A video of him barehanding a grounder is on display right now at the Louvre. This guy built the pyramids, and he wrote the first two seasons of Deadwood, and he invented the plastic thing that keeps your shoelaces from fraying. He talked George Lucas into selling the Star Wars franchise. This guy is a fist pump. He's your best friend. <laughs> I like the comment. Yeah. <laughs> so he is... You can narrow it down to about eight guys, right? He is Just... an all-around yeah. position player. Yeah. <laughs> That's and about I... all you can say. Yeah. I think the key things to note, like you can pretty much narrow it down to about eight or ten guys based on the, uh, you know, the superlatives. And uh, he's an infielder because he bare hands balls. Exactly. You've already eliminated outfielders. There you go. You've got it. Uh, I'll say Manny Machado. No, but you're you're close. No, I mean you're not close. <laughs> there's only there's like four guys at this point. It could be, and it's not Manny Machado. <laughs> okay. Better Ben. Better than Manny Machado. I don't know. That's a good question. Is it Francisco Lindor? It can't be Lindor, probably, because Lindor's swing. I mean, we led with the swing. To Mm. see this guy swing a bat is to witness both a tornado and a calm winter evening. Lindor had a a very good offensive season and better than anybody expected. But we would not lead with the bat for Lindor. And I think that you, you can pretty much rule out Chris Bryant because yeah, I did. okay and uh you've already unfortunately gone through machado and mm-hmm. josh who, donaldson oh uh, his legs though we talked yeah. about his legs yeah probably a young guy it is a young guy because we only love young guys this much you know right. that it's got to be somebody under 25 or over 39 <laughs> because those are the only people we love this much right and he is under 25 nolan arenado it's not Nolan Arenado. I wonder if you've heard of this guy. <laughs> he's kind of, he's fairly famous. Well, he's better than Manny Machado, apparently. He's better than Francisco Lindor by the uh, vote of, of many experts. Many experts were asked to vote between this guy and Francisco Lindor, and they voted for this guy. Oh, Carlos Correa. <laughs> it's Carlos Correa. All right, Carlos Correa. All right. Good ball player. Very good. Didn't think that. All right. <laughs> okay, let's see. This this was probably a much harder game than I give credit for. Yeah, I'm not good at this game. I yeah. There are a lot of baseball players. All right, next one. If this guy weren't a shortstop and a very good one at that, he might have washed out of the majors early 
or stalled on the way there. As it was, this guy's team was so impressed with his footwork that they rushed him up before he was ready to hit. This guy's swing was mechanically flawed, hindered by an arm bar, and later by a tendency to drop his hands. Blemishes that only outstanding defensive players can survive. But this guy's team was patient, figuring that they'd benefit from a vacuum in the middle infield while making their hitting coaches earn their pay. Then, before the 2015 season, this guy's GM went out on a limb, telling reporters that the former UCLA Bruin was on the verge of stardom. Executives don't often make bold proclamations about their major league players, but this guy's GM knew what outsiders didn't. This guy's batting coach and company had mended this guy's swing by lowering his hands to shorten his path to the ball. Sure enough, this guy crushed hard stuff both in and away, batting 330 against sinkers and slugging 612 on four seamers. He led his team in big flies and might have helped the injury ravaged field, sorry, might have lapped the injury ravaged field if not for his own stints on the DL. And he made his first All Star game appearance just as his boss suggested he would, earning a six-year, $75 million extension by proving this guy's GM right. Lots of clues in there. Six-year, $75 million extension. It's a shortstop who led his team in home runs. Yep. Are there multiple Carlos Correa comments? No, but this guy was, the quote is all about how he didn't have a good bat. Until right. until very recently. And Correa didn't make the All-Star game either. So this guy probably started the season with his team. Also, it says that executives often don't make bold proclamations about their major league players. So you can rule out anybody young. Six-year, $75 million extension suggests uh, service time around, what, four years? Exceptionally good defense. Shortstops don't hit home runs. Yeah. So <laughs> this guy... <laughs> this guy hit 21 on a team that didn't have many home run hitters for reasons that aren't necessarily their fault. Right. Oh, Brandon Crawford. There you go. <laughs> I feel genuinely bad hearing how much you hate this game. <laughs> <laughs> I like listening to other people play it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I wonder if other podcasts also edit out four minutes of silence. <laughs> so it seems to me that Maybe the most, I don't know, I don't know how to put this, but the, like one of the most important stories in baseball this year from a standings perspective is whether Crawford, Duffy, and Panic are incredible regression candidates or the best infield in baseball. Because mm-hmm. last year they were arguably that. They produced 14 wins by baseball references model, uh, even though Panic missed uh, you know a good portion of the season and Crawford missed a little bit. And they were projected to, to produce four wins. So that, that was like 10 wins more than anybody would have expected from looking at their preseason projections. Uh-huh. And so Pakoda has them right now projected to produce, I think, seven and a half warp. So to lose, you know, something like half of that value, but to also be better than they projected the year before. And uh, it really seems like that team is either really awesome if they have three guys who are all producing, you know, down ballot MVP seasons, uh, or really bad if they're the group that we thought they were before last year. It'd be interesting to see how much those were career years as opposed to growth, or how much they were growth as opposed to career years. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I, I don't know. I don't, like, I guess every player, every player's ability to produce or not produce to his projections is a big story. But it feels like those three in particular, maybe because I can lump them together because they're all in the infield and because they're all, you know, 
developed giants who didn't come from huge prospect backgrounds and so on. That makes it easy to lump them together. But it feels like there's just sort of 10 wins. There, of course, they don't necessarily have to all do the same thing. Maybe one will be a star and one won't. But it feels like there's just 10 wins floating around to be claimed or not claimed for them. And that's pretty much the NL West, it seems yeah. to me. Mm-hmm. Well, I guess Las Vegas believes based on those World Series odds we talked about. Good point. Mm-hmm. All right, let's see. I will do this one next. Okay. All right. No, he didn't repeat as an MVP finalist, but this guy's 2015 campaign was as well-rounded as safety scissors. He stole bases without getting caught. He has the game's second-best success rate since 2013, minimum 30 steals. And he played a confident left field while the rest of his team looked like they were fielding a greased-up pig. He is a unique and dangerous hitter with elite bat-to-ball skills. His 93% contract rate, contact rate, the best in baseball last year. Controlled aggression on early count fastballs and an overall approach that produced his first double-digit walk rate. Only three guys walked more than they struck out last year, and they comprise a strange trio. Joey Votto, Nori Aoki, and this guy, who mm. has some of the best of both of these guys in his game. Naturally, he has some of everything in his game. He'll start 2016 with a new challenge, off-season shoulder surgery, which puts the start of his season in doubt. Michael Brantley. You got it. What gave it away? (laughs) The shoulder injury and the rest of the team not fielding well. Yeah, I thought the rest of the team not fielding well would would give it away because you wrote a great piece about about that. One of my Mm -hmm. favorites last year. So Brantley, in case you're wondering, is projected to be a two and a half win player uh, this year, which uh, seems like another, seems like kind of a, I don't know, maybe a little bit of if you're looking for teams that could outproduce Pakoda, Brantley at two and a half feels a little like Lorenzo Kane at two last year, where probably he's penalized a little bit for not having a, a very long history of being an elite player, but he does have some of that potential to be an elite player. He did it once before. Uh, and uh, you could imagine Brantley very easily being a five or six or maybe even seven win player again for the Indians. That would probably bump whatever their team projections are from, I, I would guess that they'll project to be like in the low to mid 80s, could bump them up to closer to 90. Mm-hmm. So he seems like a crucial player as well. Yeah. What well, Relative to projections. All yeah. right. And he might miss half the year. And he also might who pass. Knows, who might knows do if he'll be fully healthy and effective. So yeah. Might produce nothing. All right. This guy recently donated $5 million to build a baseball stadium for the University of Illinois at Chicago, the largest one-time gift ever from a pro athlete to his alma mater. And based on his previous two seasons, it wasn't clear how much longer he'd be good enough to crack even that team's lineup. Yet, this guy improved in every aspect of the game, which makes us think he was simply finally healthy again. Offensive adjustments come and go without fanfare, but one does not magically improve his outfield range at the age of 34. At the plate, he showed an ability to turn on the inside fastball while staying honest on off-speed pitches. Previously, he had only been able to concentrate on one or the other. Of course, it's no more than he deserves as the consensus nicest guy in baseball. Yes, we said he was done a year ago. File it under, yeah, but still. I think that is Curtis Granderson. It is Curtis Granderson, who had, I want to say, and again, like I've mentioned this before, it might just be that I wasn't following the league as closely, but... He had, it seems to me, the quietest great season in baseball last year. Yeah, it was really good. Chris Mosh wrote something about his defense, his throwing improving in left field or or in right field. 
I guess he was playing. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I mean, his people wrote off that contract really quickly as just a disaster. Over 30 free agent gets signed by the Mets and has a down year. But he wasn't terrible. Like he struck out a lot and didn't have a high batting average, but he still did some things. And then he bounced back. So yeah, he had a, a very good year. Yeah, he had uh, the second or third best offensive season of his career, the second or third best overall season of his career. And you look at his career and it's it's interesting because he didn't really establish himself in the majors until he was 25. He was a college draft pick and he didn't really race through uh, the majors, uh, through the minors once he got there. And you could imagine a scenario where if, if by chance he had, you know, either come out of high school or just caught some scouts eyes and gone, you know, sixth overall instead of in the third round or something and raced through the the minors and made it to the majors, maybe at age 22, instead of, you know, basically at at age 25, he'd be putting together like a stealthy hall of fame career given what is now the surprising longevity to it. I mean, I honestly, like, didn't we, we all kind of thought that Granderson was like washed up. Like yeah. Granderson was seen as injury prone as uh, he had a bad first year with the Mets. He was just getting old. Like he used to do things that were, I don't know. Granderson's a kind of guy who he changes. It seems like these guys who change the style of play, the way that they succeed as they get older, we I think we hold it against them a little bit, especially when they're so dynamic. Like he was a guy who would steal bases and hit 20 triples. And he was the fast, the fast guy. And when he rebuilds himself as a, you know, power 40, hitter, 40 home run guy, oh, a 40 yeah. home run guy. Yeah. It, it feels like, it feels like a last gasp before he ages. Like I kind of feel like Andrew Jones is the example that you might point at as the guy who did exactly that. And it was his last gasp. Like Jones was that extremely dynamic, fast center fielder. And then as he started to slow down, as he got bigger, he rebuilt himself as a power hitting superstar, but he could only keep that going for like two or three years. And then he was, you know, more or less out of the game until this weekend when he officially retired. And Granderson in some ways was that, except he kept it going for longer. He's now going to be 35 and he's still a very good ball player. And he has found a way to not continue getting slower and older, right? Like he, yeah, he. Uh, I wonder those those couple years with the Yankees when he hit forty something home runs and he struck out a ton. And I wonder if that was a, a Yankee Stadium sort of profile where he was trying to hit home runs, which he did successfully. And maybe he was just trying to do that in a way that he hadn't been before, and maybe in a way that he hasn't with the Mets because it's harder to do that with the Mets. And so he's less of a strikeout guy now than he was with the Yankees. So it's a, it is a strange sort of yo-yo progression. Yeah. I love Granderson. And I mean, I'm not suggesting in any way that he's going to get close to the hall of fame. He won't not even close, but that's largely because you, it's almost impossible to make the hall of fame. If you don't produce any wins before you turn 25, he's the opposite of, you know, Mookie Betts where you can ask, well, how much is he going to bank before he even gets to where Granderson was in the majors? I mean, Betts might be a 20-win player before he gets to 25. And Granderson, in in a sense, starts 20 wins behind what probably a lot of Hall of Famers have at that point. So he's, you know, if, if he has a, a gentle decline, he could easily get to around 50 or so, but that's starting late. So, I don't know, kind of a bummer. I wonder what he was doing 
that kept him from the majors. <laughs> like, I wonder if you looked back if if he like with Utley, you could very easily make the case that Utley is going to be similar. Utley started later than most Hall of Famers do, and he'll probably miss out on the Hall of Fame because of it. For a few reasons, he'll miss out on the Hall of Fame, but one of them is that he started a little later than most Hall of Famers get to start. And with Utley, you can really easily make the case that, well, partly he was a college guy, but also you can make the case that he should have been in the majors at least a year and maybe two years earlier than he was, but he was he was blocked and other things. And I wonder if Granderson also was. All right, let's do one more. Okay. After a gaff-flooded 2014, this guy had to be thrilled to enter spring training with a fresh slate at a new position. The hope was that his athleticism don't laugh, this guy is more spry than his nickname suggests, would counterbalance his inexperience at the cold corner, eventually allowing him to become an average or close to it defender. Nope, this guy committed 23 errors, almost as many as he had in 2014, and this time he did it without the yips. Do you realize how difficult it is to air that many times at first base? (laughs) Jose Abreu finished second in the majors, and he had about half as many errors. Casey Kotsman committed 18 errors in his career. This guy started almost all of his team's September games, but completed only three of them, which is like my favorite fun fact in this book. (laughs) (laughs) This guy's ability to smack 30 home runs and reach base at respectable rates should keep him employed for years to come. But after his team non-tendered him, it was probably safe for him to turn his glove into a decorative planter. I think I have it. It's Pedro Alvarez. It is Pedro Alvarez. And I'm surprised uh, about the confidence about his longevity. Oh, yeah. Well, this was written before we saw no market develop for him uh-huh. at all. I mean, right. now you get to you get to February and you start worrying that DHs that aren't signed aren't gonna sign. Yeah. And in December he looked like, you know, he's still a pretty attractive player. I mean, not the most attractive, but this is the Kind of the classic guy that you'd think, well, he, he was probably two years from being the classic guy that you would think the Rays would sign. If he was a little older, then the Rays <laughs> would sign him. Uh-huh. Um, now, though, the Rays might get to sign him. Yeah. So uh, what is he? So he's almost 29. Yeah. And he's basically, because of that bad defense, has been like a replacement level player for two years. And exclusively because if you take away the defense, he's like minus 45, I think, in his career. If you just... If you put all that at zero, then he'd be basically an average player. Instead, he's been like about a about a win per 162 games. Yeah. Well, yes. Yeah, so, I mean, that's the thing, though. He, Even though he's a 30 home run guy, or he has been, he's still not a great hitter by the standards of the positions he could play. Like, if mm-hmm. he could play shortstop, he'd be great. But as a first baseman or a third baseman, he just he strikes out so much. <laughs> he doesn't get on base all that much. Yeah, I I think that um, you're probably right about the confidence of the longevity prediction is probably too strong. You could easily see him having seven more years as a DH in this league, right? You yeah. could also you could also easily see him having like Delman uh, Young. Yeah, you could also see him having one more year and then being a minor league contracts guy from the, or you know a spring training invite guy for the rest of, of his career, and he has to earn it, and he goes up and down, and he. You know, he has a Russell Brannion here here and there, and then he has the other Russell Brannion year here and there, and then he's out by 33. Yeah. So he's already, I think he's already got more plate appearances than Russell Brannion in his career. <laughs> I'm going to check that. But uh, no, but if he plays a full year this year, he'll pass Russell Brannion. Uh, so yeah, I, I'm still, I'm surprised that Alvarez is still, I mean, there's a guy who led the league in home runs 
three years ago. And you'd think there would still be GMs out there that would want that. I It's getting to the point now where you almost wonder whether the other prediction that he's certainly going to be in the AL uh, might end up being wrong too. Because at this point, he'll he, you could see him taking a bench bat platoon role if it gets bad enough, right? First mm-hmm. baseman kind of platoon guy and defense, you know, gets swapped out for defense in the sixth or seventh inning every game. Uh, there's probably at least a team or two in the NL where he might fit at close to the minimum if it actually got to that point. Mm-hmm. Anyway, all right, that's the end of that game. Okay. So, buy the book. You can buy the yeah, book. Buy the book. Send us emails for later this week at podcast at baseballperspectus.com. You can join our Facebook group at facebook.com slash groups slash effectively wild and rate and review and subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. You can also support our sponsor, Play Index at baseballreference.com. Use the coupon code BP when you're subscribed to get the discounted price of $30 on a one year subscription. We'll be back soon. No matter how far we can push, cruise, control.